well, that's just pretty much the podcast. Right? It'll that's, be at least like the first 10 minutes of every that, podcast. That's already what our podcast is, is just one oh, long blooper reel. reel. Hello. Welcome to the home of professional podcasting. Professional blooper reels. Yes. Twas the week before Christmas. <clears throat> Yes. Less than a week away from Christmas. It's our last podcast before Christmas. Well, how about that? Not our last podcast of the year. Are we doing a podcast next week? Seems right. Okay. Then it's, we, our not, it's not our last can, podcast of the year. We can take the week off if you want. You know, I, I don't know what we're I, talking about. So. I'll, I'll be honest. I just haven't thought that far ahead. So. Well. <laughs> My focus has been elsewhere. But I understand. Yours may have been elsewhere as well. It was. So, as we are. Maybe I, we should take next week I, off. I, I like your sweater. Thanks. It's very, very Christmassy and wintry, like you're going to go skiing or something. I like both so things. We really can't go skiing hard right now. Hard to go skiing in the mud out mud here. Although is I, not my... I did feel like I was doing some mud skiing the other day. I took a step and my feet almost shot right out from under me. Sounds it's like a Polish last very name. Very slick thing. Yeah. There's old mud ski. There's mud ski. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so. I'm half Polish, so I can joke about that. <laughs> I can also make Mexican jokes. Boy, you're just full of the jokes, right? we got all kinds of ethnicity, so all kinds of ethnic jokes. It's appropriate can, so. when you are that culture to make jokes about that culture. So I'm told. So Heidi told me the other day that her dog was racist, but we won't get into that. <laughs> her racist dog. Her dog is very weird. I don't, I don't know if, you, if she's told you. It... it when the Geico Gecko comes up on the TV screen, the dog goes nuts. Just you know, jumps up at the screen to attack this gecko. That, that is time. <laughs> Apparently, she help goes, me! I have a flat tire. Right, and that was actually the commercial that I was watching her jump at. And I think she, maybe she doesn't like the accent. Maybe she doesn't, she doesn't like, like the geckos. lizard. I don't know, but I don't like geckos either, Cece. It's all right. It's just, if you're listening. Uh, it's no, I've been there. Thing. We have Gilmore Girls days there, and sometimes I've seen her jump up like at certain characters. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. You got springs. My dog did that. They break does. her legs. She jumps I, really high. Saturday, they went up for uh, my nephew's graduation to Central Michigan University, and uh, Heidi had me take the dog out and put, put her on a run outside. And uh, I went in, let her out of her, her crate, and man, she about hit me in the face she's jumping up. She's major like, hops. What are you doing? She's just yeah. a little thing. I know, but she's very got springy. Springs. Very she's springy. a little spring thing. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't think we'd spend two minutes talking about Heidi's dog, but, you know. Only two minutes? Wow, that's really good. <laughs> what else would you like to talk about? <laughs> uh. So, um, I was not here on Sunday. I was feeling a little ill. And then you sent me a text that said you didn't recognize your sermon. <laughs> Part of it. So, we're yeah. in good shape for the podcast today. Well, there's always always, uh, there's always the tomorrow. notes that we have. There's always tomorrow. Clarice. So, different Clarice. Different. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Someone do should do a mashup. <laughs> the, the nice key on Rudolph and uh, so, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, that would be very. Hello, Clarice. There's always. That would be very nineties, wouldn't it? That would be something. But, well, Rudolph came out way before the nineties. Uh, cha, before you were born, before. It wasn't. It must very, have been sixties, right? I think it was actually before I was born. I think it was 66, 67. I'm gonna look it up while you do something the, important in that neighborhood. Uh, it's astonishing to me how old some of those movies are that just What's your favorite felt like one? current. Depends on what one I'm watching at the time. No, actually. you have to pick one. I don't think I can My do that. My favorite is... There are, um, I could probably pick least favorites easier than I could pick favorites. Out of the, but what, the Franklin and Bash ones. But they're all, like, all 64. of those... Rudolph came out. Nice. Um, maybe it was yeah. Frosty was a little later. Interestingly, Frosty doesn't count. I'm talking almost about like everything. The, yeah, but it's the same production companies. Though. That's the it. interesting thing is how many of these things were Rankin and Bass uh, yeah. with all of the little 
you know, claymation type things, the stop motion. Uh, and then Frosty was also ranking in bass, even though it was animated. Yeah, and a couple of the other, I think Happy Santa Claus birthday. is coming to town was also That's ranking in bass. That's my favorite one. So there's a lot of. Most I do of like Year with Honest Santa Claus just because I like the Miser Brothers. Also good. Uh, not 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 a great film. None of them are great. None of them are great as far as you know being a, an artistic masterpiece. But when you look Catchy at songs. what they were at, look at what they were able to do with in the that effects. Time. Right. Without CGI, you didn't have computers that you were working with. This was all. But you, they did. You know what they did have? Mickey Rooney. Well, there's that. <laughs> and dedication, commitment, talent, right. perseverance. You know, little all the things little we don't things have today. like that, right? Okay. So we've we've made things a lot different. But you know, if that if that were the case, if you know, if folks back then had the the shallowness and lack of perseverance and endurance that that is so typical of of where we are in our culture and society today, then Joseph and Mary never would have been able to make the journeys that they made to Ooh. Bethlehem and then down into Egypt and eventually out of Egypt. They would have been Nazareth. using Google Maps. Well, that's. <laughs> I'm not sure that Google Maps is a is a step up from an angel telling you what to do. <laughs> that's that's a dig on Google Maps. <laughs> no, it's really not. It's a supernatural guidance or, you know, the internet. I'm saying if it would have were to happen I'm today, follow God, I think. if it were to happen today, yeah, they wouldn't have you know caught an Uber to Bethlehem. <laughs> well, you know, as we're uh, as we're looking at it, we're we're finishing up. This is our last week in looking at Christmas journeys. We'll actually do sort of an epilogue next week oh, that, so that's that what we're doing. ties into it um, and we will decide if we're going to have an episode know, next week I, I feel know. like there's we've always taken like a week or two off at some point I, in the year I but know. I don't remember I, it, I, most of the podcasts I listen to do we to, need a week or two off yeah. uh, the, the listeners might need, they a, might need week a week or two off, off from us but uh, yeah the, most of the podcasts I listen to kind of take a break either in the summer or in the in the holiday Christmas tell us season, how sick so. of us you are and we'll decide. There you go. So anyway, as we're looking at this this, this final uh, week of Advent as we're coming into the Christmas season, we're looking at the journey uh, out of Egypt, but it also included the journey to Egypt. And then uh, as God was guiding Joseph and Mary in this post-Magi um, episode here mm-hmm. in Matthew chapter 2, uh, the Magi had... Had come, they followed the star, they come to Jerusalem, they're looking for the king, ask questions, hey, where's the king that's born king of the Jews, or the one who's born king of the Jews? People get stirred up, Herod gets stirred up, they want to, uh, you know, they want to find him. Herod uh, puts together his little secret plan, and, you know, little mustache twirling, you know, go go find the child so I may worship him. And, uh, it's kind of monocle. <laughs> They're warned in the dream uh, not to go back, so they um, are overjoyed when they find the star. And um, interestingly, the star leads them to the home where Joseph and Mary are. Stars don't typically do that. And None that I've seen. Planets and comets don't, don't do that shine to down be able to give you. Right, to be able to draw you like Google Maps to the address where you're going. Turn left. There's something <laughs> something unique and supernatural going on here. Uh, however you understand that is probably about as realistic as anybody else because this is all we're told. From their perspective, right. it's a star. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, as they bring the gifts, they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. They return to their country by another route. 
or root if you're classier than I am. So um, then we pick up in Matthew 2, uh, starting with verse 13, and we see another journey. This is the last of of these, uh, what we've been calling Christmas journeys. Um, This is really post-Advent. Christ has already come. Uh, He could be as old as as two years old at this point, probably younger than that, probably several months, um, you know, maybe even up to a year, uh, considering that the star appeared with his birth. And, and if we uh, assume from the text that it that those were concurrent events, right. not that it began before, which is possible. But um, in any case, the, the Magi come and they find them in a home in Bethlehem. That's interesting to me because so. all the... I guess those are just pop culture stories yeah. and things that you see are the Magi right. there at the birth, you know, and that's probably not the case. Yeah, and, <laughs> and over the years, a lot of folklore and tradition built up around that. Right. Um, the the church, as, as mythology developed in, in the prevailing uh, church structure, particularly through the Dark Ages, a lot of mythology and angelology and... Uh, Hagiology, the the study of saints, all, all that really ro- kind of rose up. Uh, the, uh, we'd have these uh, hagiographies that would like the golden legend that would awesome. describe all all of these uh, different stories of saints. Mm. Much of it was just legend, right. but it became doctrine mm. to a large extent. Uh, not to go too far into that, but you know, I enjoy taking those rabbit trails. Anyway, so as they're uh, as we're seeing this. Um, the Lord moves Joseph and Mary. He speaks to Joseph, and that's not insignificant that he, he doesn't speak to Mary here. He speaks to Joseph. Joseph leads his family in obedience to the Lord. They leave where they are. They go to Egypt um, so that the prophecy would be fulfilled, right. wh- which would not necessarily look at it and say, oh, wow, that's a prophecy of Messiah. And yet Matthew identifies it as that for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When we look at, at um, Hosea 11.1, 1, which is really referring to what God has done already with Israel. So as Messiah is coming out of Egypt, it, it um, looks back, it harkens back to God bringing his son, Israel, out of Egypt. And with, conversely, you can look at the Exodus and God bringing Israel out of Egypt, and it prefigures what he's going to do here with Messiah. So anyway, the text itself, starting with verse 13, says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Interesting that right here already, there's an indication that there's going to be an ongoing guidance because stay there until I tell you, which means I'm going to tell you something, mm. you know, so be listening. I'm not just sending you to Egypt uh, and then bailing, but God continues this through this messenger. Uh, and so stay there. I'll, I'll let you know when to leave. Verse 14, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. It's an immediate obedience. And Joseph, as the, the head of the household here, does what the Lord says. This is what what men are called to do in their role as the head of the household, is to lead to God in obedience to God in a reflection and a picture of who God is. When we don't do that well, we end up with what we see in society today, where um, women have to play a role that that is not 
the, the role that God called them to, which makes it more difficult to, for them to be able to play the role that God has called them to. Right. You and I have talked about that a lot of times. I don't know how much we've talked about it on the podcast, but personally we have a lot. So as we're looking at... You have to pay for that content. That's right. <laughs> that's not even in something to drink right. about, although it probably showed up there too. Like something to cry about. Uh, and he, got up, he, he got up, took the child and, and his mother. Notice it's referring specifically to Mary as the child's mother, mm-hmm. um, not his child and not his wife, but he is in this role uh, for God's child and his mother. Left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, and this is referring to Hosea 11.1, 1, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, really, he really wasn't, he was outwitted by God, which is really not a contest, so there's that. Um, when he had realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So this is a horrific event, right? And we'll see another uh, prophecy that we wouldn't necessarily know as a prophecy if the Bible didn't tell us it was prophecy uh, being fulfilled here. Herod is furious, and he has all the boys in Bethlehem and around Bethlehem who are under two years old, or two years old and under, uh, to make sure that he's making a clean sweep. If I can't get the Messiah individually and personally, I'm going to wipe all y'all out so that I'm going to catch him in this broad, uh, in this wide net here. Uh, verse 17, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Jeremiah looking at the exile in Babylon and all of the the horrific things that, that are taking place at that time, again, prefiguring what's what's going to happen here connecting, as it were, the Messiah with Israel mm. all the way through. So so we see Judah as the remnant of Israel in exile in Babylon, horrible things happening. This is what happens when God's specific hand of protection is removed. Then the wicked that the, the wicked things that happen, the evil that men do, if you will, uh, these things take hold. Right. And the devastation, the victimization is overwhelming. So Jeremiah had said, A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Mm-hmm. So we see that connection there. As we, as we look at what happens, again, uh, Herod is, is making this sweep. He's not taking any chances, so he's, you know, let's take this amount of time, presumably knowing Herod and his efficiency and effectiveness at dominating and killing, um, you know, it, if the child's six months or a year, I'm gonna I'm gonna go extra with this. We're gonna right. wipe everybody out. So you know, just doing some quick math and understanding. Um, if we assume Bethlehem, based on on uh, prevailing scholarship, had somewhere in the neighborhood of three to five hundred people in Bethlehem, small town, shepherd's town. Uh, look at the number of families that you're dealing with there. You include the surrounding area, which is largely fields and pastures, but has has people out there. So you're going to go out, find all these folks. Town that size, just doing some quick math for context. I talked to uh, my sister and my cousin who are uh, teachers at the kindergarten and first grade teachers at the local school. So all together in the kindergarten and first grade in our small town, which is roughly 2,000, a little mm-hmm. little under that probably. Surrounding areas bigger in, in Three Oaks. So our district is much broader than that, but Three Oaks is the biggest 
concentration of population right. in in our uh, school district. So they have about uh, 60 in mm. the kindergarten and first grade combined, bigger mm-hmm. kindergarten than first grade, but about 60 in that two-year span. So if we you know, bump it up, and we look at, okay, so Bethlehem is, you know, let's let's take that 60 let's jump it up even to say you know 100 mm-hmm. right uh and three oaks is roughly a third of that so let's say there's 33 kids that that are in that age window in in our community and again these are estimates and, right. and ballparking so if you look at that and then you know sort of jump that up a little bit um understanding that uh, you know, we go up to 100, considering Bethlehem has a higher, uh, at that time in history, we're going to have a higher birth rate. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of factors in that, but you're going to have more young children. Smaller town. So if you, we've bumped everything up, about 33. So figure, you know, um, you know, if Bethlehem's a third of that size, Hmm. 11 or so. Uh, so, you know, as we're looking at the number of kids that we're dealing with and, and bumping numbers up, and, and, you know, half of these kids are boys as you're dealing with it. So, again, you're, you're talking about a very realistic... We don't see this recorded uh, in, in other extant history outside of uh, the Bible. But that's also not uncommon. There are a number of events that take place that you see recorded in, in one particular document and not in other things. Um, and because uh, at that time in Roman culture, children were not valued. The uh, Women, children, slaves, no, none of which were, were particularly valued highly. In fact, in, in many areas of the culture, slaves were the highest of those three categories. Um, and so the, the idea um, that this would be recorded here, understanding the tragedy that it is, and not recorded elsewhere, absolutely logical, considering also the number of people that Herod had killed in a variety of ways. In fact, when he knew he was dying, he rounded up all of the, uh, the prominent folks in Jerusalem, or many of the prominent folks there in Jerusalem, because he knew nobody was going to weep for him. So when he died, he wanted to make sure there were mourners, so keep them in jail, in prison, until I die, and then kill them all. And, you know, this is a bad dude at this point. He's, he's you know, gone from an effective but brutal leader to uh, just an, an insane guy, right? Yeah. He's, he's consumed with power. And, and think about the fact that at this point, he's toward the end of his life anyway. He's, right. he's neighborhood of 70 in the first century, you know, or, or actually just uh, first century B.C. So probably he, if he dies about 4 B.C., this is probably 5 or 6 B.C. in this general neighborhood. <clears throat> if you're 70 years old, you're, you're the old guy, right. right? Especially in that time. But he is, he's already killed off one of his wives and two of his sons at a minimum, mm-hmm. along with everybody else who threatened him in any way. Uh, killed off his brother-in-law. I just, I just heard this uh, account recently. Uh, I, I trust the source, so you know I, I can repeat it and trust the veracity of it because I trust the source, even though I haven't seen any uh, primary docu- documents on it. Um, but that he had killed his brother-in-law, who actually, I guess they, <laughs> they kind of 
liked each other, I guess. Um, disagreed, uh, saw him as a, as a threat in some way, as a rival in some way, invited him to go swimming and then drowned him. And so, you know, this is like, this is not stable. <laughs> you know, this is yeah. not normal. And so when you have that state, you are so consumed with protecting your glory and power that you, <laughs> for children who can't possibly be a threat to you, because you're going to be dead before they're able to grow up to be there. But you're already so consumed that you're not thinking, boy, this I should bring this child under my wing. This, you know, he wants his children to be his legacy, even though he's already killed them off as threats. So that you still got more. He wants to have the ones that he wants in place, and you kill off. Let's say 20, 20 boys that are two years old and under. And just the thought of that is so overwhelming, especially today because we do understand the sanctity of life better. Uh, and, and as much as we devalue that in American society and, and really in Western society in general, and I can't even really say Western society. You look at, at what's happened in China and other Eastern nations, there's such a devaluing of the sanctity of life. It should be easy for us to relate to how this went, how this went down. And yet the tragedy is overwhelming. Especially if you're time. a parent. I mean, right. Can, having can, your... And a Jewish parent, at this time, you're, you're essentially, you know, in a large way, the only group of people that, that value the life of the child at this point. Right. Uh, Presumably worldwide. I mean, I can't speak to things that are beyond that scope. Uh, Other cultures at that time, I I don't know. But you are the voice of God in the culture. But I mean... And you you get it. You understand. This is... What a horrific nightmare for these For my child. Right. For them to come into your home, rip your, your... Infant to possibly toddler child away, right? And kill him. Yeah, it, it is when you picture this. The, it's interesting that it connects it to Jeremiah because Jeremiah was so overwhelmed. Uh, uh, he, he wrote an entire book called Lamentations <laughs> because he was so overwhelmed at God's judgment on his own people by handing them over to their desire. They wanted life without God. Well, here you go. Now you get to be exiled. You don't get to have both. You can't have get the benefits it of it and also ignore me and want to be like everybody else. Right. So you want life without me? Fine. Here's what it looks like. Here's and how they, it goes with it. And the people of God, were. Re- it, it got so bad that in Jerusalem they were re- resorting to cannibalism because of their own children. Uh, parents arguing over being selfish I mean, I, I was astonished and shocked. I don't shock easily anymore, and I was shocked reading the text, which I've read before, but reading it again, it just was mind-blowing to look at at what Jeremiah is recording about how horrible it is. Mm-hmm. So then... To sacrificing con- your children to these different to, gods, to Molech, right? Yeah, throughout the Old Testament. And that was... A good thing in their minds. That's, they saw that as a positive thing. Even the children of Israel were, were doing that. It, it's really astonishing. And then, you know, are we any better? Are we any different today as we sacrifice our unborn children on the altar of our own personal convenience or good? Uh, it, it, 
we're doing the same things, you know. Uh, and I'll get if, on a soapbox real fast, if, so you better. If, <laughs> if we see, you know, in the New Testament where Paul describes idols as, as you know, essentially um, being, I don't empower is not the right word, but as representing various demons, you know, is <laughs> isn't this still worshiping Molech? You know, there's so much of these things that are going on. Anyway, that that really wasn't the focus of, of where we wanted to talk about. But I, I don't That's think we could just pass ignore, over right, right. right. And so that connection between um, between Rachel weeping uh, during the exile, and uh, of course Rachel's long dead at that point, but her grave is there near Bethlehem. So all this happens, and God actively works to preserve the child from this. So while this evil is taking place from people who wear God's name but don't have a connection with his heart, Mm. he is still actively moving the pieces here to get his promised one protected and for safety takes him out of the land of, of the children of God, the promised land, to Egypt, where he had rescued Israel from hundreds of years before. Um, so it's safer for the Messiah in this pagan nation where they had been enslaved than it is at home. Mm-hmm. Anyway, after Herod died, verse 19, uh, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Right? So that's you know, that's the, the word that he's been waiting for. The angel said, I'll tell you when to go back. Go back. Right? So the angel of the Lord appears, tells him. 21, so he got up, took the child and his mother, again, same reference that we see before, and went to the land of Israel. So now you've left Egypt, this pagan land, you're going back to the homeland and uh, presumably assuming you're going back to Judea, whether to the same house or or somewhere else in in the region uh, where Bethlehem is. But when he heard that Archelaus, who was one of the the sons of Herod, when Herod the Great died, it was, uh, that region was divided up among uh, among others uh, at one point four, at another point three. uh, So there was a tetrarchy. There was a four-way division, um, and then uh, I think it went from there down to three. But anyhow, uh, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets: "He'll be called a Nazarene." Now there's a big chunk just in this. So Archelaus. Uh, um, Philip was reigning in Galilee, who was another uh, son, but he was more of a mild, uh, mild-mannered is the right phrasing, but uh, he was more of a peacemaker, a uh, little, little more chill. Mm. Archelaus was not. In fact, he, was, uh, he didn't hang, hang on to his uh, seat there very long. Rome removed him because he was ineffective. Um, and uh, so... Being fearful that Archelaus then is going to to carry out the expectations of his father, have that same kind of personality, um, he's afraid. But more than being afraid, he's been warned in a dream. Now these dreams have been pretty effective communication from God through these angels. So now um, he receives this warning, and instead of going to Judea, which is very Jewish, 
in, in this area near Jerusalem, you go to the region of Galilee, this, this Gentile district, and, and, and several passages, uh, we see this emphasis on the Gentile nature of the Galilee region, specifically to a town called Nazareth. And um, you, you may remember when Jesus was calling his first disciples, the apostles, um, the question came up, can anything good come from Nazareth? So that was the view that people had of Nazareth. As Matthew records this, that uh, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he'll be called a Nazarene. We don't find that specific wording or that uh, prophecy anywhere. And so the, the Hebrew word uh, for branch kind of looks uh, similar, uh, similar spelling, looks a little bit like this uh, Nazareth, Nazarene uh, idea. And so some speculate that this is speaking of the prophecies that Jesus would be the branch of Jesse mm. coming up from that. And that's possible. Um, more likely, uh, it's a reference to the being despised, mm. being rejected. And there are a number of different places, Isaiah 53, Psalm, I think, 22. Um, we see a, a variety of prophecies along that line that the Messiah would be despised and rejected and so uh, in all likelihood that's what he's talking about there um, in this prophecy that he would be a Nazarene that the Messiah is now coming he's Jewish he's a Jew among the Jews and was born in Bethlehem but flees to Egypt because it's safer in this pagan Gentile nation than at home with those who are supposed to recognize the Lord and are supposedly looking for the Messiah's coming uh, clearly, many were not, as we saw in the previous passage. So he goes back to the land of Israel, and even there ends up in a in a dominantly Gentile district in, in this area, to a place that is despised, rejected. There's nothing significant about Nazareth other than Jesus. Nobody has regard for people from, from Nazareth. And I think most areas have that community that, you know, people look down on, you know, it's, you know, whatever it might be in your particular area that is sort of a kind of a social pariah. That's the idea here of Jesus being a Nazarene. And Later on, Christians would be called by the Romans Nazarenes, who, you know, as mm. those who followed this despised one. So, as we we're working through this, Matthew's gospel, the whole point of why he's writing this, he's writing to Jews, and, and large, mainly to Jews. And the biggest part of what he's trying to accomplish is to establish Christ the Messiah, as the promised king, that this is David's king will reign forever on the throne. So the, the sovereignty aspect of who Messiah is, who the Christ is, um, shows up in these prophecies. So Matthew, more than any of the other gospel writers, continues to go back to Old Testament prophecies to, right. to show that they're fulfilled. And uh, in the process, he continues to demonstrate the character of Christ, that, that while he's fulfilling prophecies, it's different than what you expect. And so this Jewish writer to a Jewish audience to focus on the Jewish Messiah is here emphasizing these Gentile places and even brings out in the genealogy this, this very Jewish genealogy. And yet there, there are places along the way where Gentiles are 
involved. And we looked at that at the beginning of this right. series in Ruth, where Ruth, who was a, a Moabite, the hated Moabites, um, marries into this uh, into the bloodline of Jesus. And so there's there's a picture of God's heart for the nations that it's not just about a special class of right, people, right. but his heart is for everyone through those people. Uh, so we, as we look at the story, and, and it seems to be the reason Matthew is including this. So if, if, if this were left out, and we have all the rest of the, the uh, Christmas story, the Advent, and we have all the rest of the, of the gospel, and we leave out this section because, you know, it's, it's kind of gruesome. We don't really want this. We leave all Not this when you think out. about Christmas. Then we would miss the point that Matthew is making that God actively ensures that his glorious plan of redemption cannot fail. So you see the devil coming against him mm-hmm. here, seeking to destroy him. Oh my goodness, Revelation 12, I think is it is Revelation 12, has this same picture. Let me find that. But but in the in the midst of all of this, God is active. It's not like you know Joseph figures this out on his own. Right. God is is involved, uh, and Joseph has to obey. Joseph has to think and act. But you know, in Revelation twelve, we see a picture of this as well. And um, again, this is apocalyptic writing, and so there's a lot of symbolism, and people look differently at it. But in, in Revelation twelve, we have this picture. Uh, of the woman and the dragon. Uh, John writes, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Well, this is a picture of Israel. Mm. So we, we see this picture of sun and moon in Israel regularly, the 12 stars. Uh, not hard to see the 12 tribes in this. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Where did the Messiah come from? Came from Israel. So as, as we see Mary as giving birth, uh, to Jesus. John's making the connection. It's Israel that, that gives birth to the Messiah in that sense. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Uh, the, this identified later here as as the devil, this, this dragon. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth as uh, Satan brought a third of the angels with him. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Does that sound a lot like what Herod does here in, in trying to, to wipe out the child? She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. This is Messiah. I mean, we, uh, how could we not see this? She gives birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And we see following his earthly ministry, Jesus is ascending. Is ascending uh, and he is reigning with the Lord even hmm. now. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. So this picture of Israel then um, being protected by God, fleeing into this wilderness. And <laughs> It's hard not to see the world we're living in as a wilderness as it is. But God, in Revelation 12, is given this picture of his activity, that he is actively making sure that his glorious plan of redemption cannot fail. Hmm. The, the Messiah that he sends for us is preserved to do the work that he was sent to do. And he will return to do that final judgment. And boy, if there's one thing we should be thankful about with Christmas, it should be that we had this first advent before the second. Right. 
Because if, if God brought the judgment before bringing this mercy, the grace of Messiah, the We'd good news of the gospel, uh, the, it, this is the picture of God's heart. When Peter says God's not slow in keeping his promises, mm-hmm. but he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. He wants to bring as many in as will come. And so God's design here in in the first advent of Christmas and the second advent later of judgment and establishment of that ruling with an iron scepter, uh, this is this glorious plan that allows us to be redeemed and saved and have an eternal relationship with God. And I know we're over here, but I wanted to kind of tie that together. Shoot, because, we're way under our normal well, time. Well, that's true. But we, we talked a lot beforehand, and yeah, I took up extra time. Anyway, um... And this was kind of, you know, you wrote uh, an article for our monthly newsletter, and it's on our website, by the way. If you don't get our newsletter, you can check out our website. And there's, Rich's blog is on there that he writes every month. Um, as Christians, I think we often think that Easter is the most important holiday, and I would agree that it is. But there's no Easter without Christmas right. first. Right. and so. But I often think that we take Christmas and turn it into something else. Mm-hmm. And so putting that back into perspective and focusing on the fact that this all needed to happen this exact way and mm. that is solely because God made it happen this exact way right. that is something to celebrate the season about and Absolutely. and because this child was born we have Easter we have resurrection we have a savior and it's this little baby and it's it's you know it's nice to see the little nativity sets and the cute little baby and the glowing angels but think about yeah. what that means like right. that like Christmas is so important. It took all of history to get to that point. Right. And that is the foundation now on which all the rest of history Right. And you know, nobody loves Christmas more than me. I mean, look at my shirt. But, um, and so I get caught up in it too. But when you really think about what it all means and what had to happen just so, it's it's overwhelming in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, like you said in your article, go read it. Having a, a intentionally... Christ-centered Christmas is is hugely important, and I'm guilty yeah. of you know falling into the merry and bright of everything too. But you know, reflecting on that is 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 big. Yeah, just I, I think as you were saying that, I, I was thinking of the term purposeful. You know, mm-hmm. there there is a there's a purposefulness, mm-hmm. an intentionality in how God brings all these things to pass. It's not random. It's not accidental. Nothing is random with God. Even though it might seem random to us, we only get to see part of it. Uh, that blew my mind what you read from Revelation. You're like, oh, this means this, this means this. And it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I've read that before, but I've never thought, well, this means this because I'm not as well-versed in that as you are. But I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of others but, seeing it. So. But that's, it's all just so connected and so, like, it all matters. And it's not, like you said, it's not random. And mm-hmm. that's just... <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a beauty in the gospel that is more than the nostalgia of a of a, a crash and nativity scene. Right. And and again, I, I'm with you. I love the nostalgia. I love the fantasy mm-hmm. of it. We grew up the with magic, quote the unquote. celebration, right. you know, with Santa and all these things right. uh, as a Even kid. Traditions, and, and things like that. Did those things with with my kids and you know but never we don't ever want to do these things at the expense of what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And lights, please. And we don't want to forget that, you know, with all of the talk, people, you know, 
people will get cynical and well this was a you know a converted roman holiday and all these different things and then christmas itself well that's a catholic mass that was put in place there and we don't know when jesus birthday is and chuck wrote in his devotion uh, in our, our church advent devotional book one of our overseers wrote if we needed to know when jesus birthday was would he would have told us right. But I hear God didn't tell us. Like, well, Jesus is really born in the summer, and this and right. Okay, well, that's cool. great. That's, we're <laughs> celebrating his birthday. Right. It doesn't mean right. we're doing it on his birthday. Right. Well, you know, we celebrate as our family. We celebrate our birthdays together very often on Sundays because that's when everybody's together. Right. Right. If your birthday is on Wednesday, right. sorry, we didn't celebrate right. it on your birthday. Or it could be a month you know? later. You know. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, my sister, you know, had some pretty devastating <laughs> events happen on her fiftieth birthday right. this year, and so we celebrated like six months later. Yeah, and. People do things like that. So let's not get hung up on right. that kind of stuff. But we should remember that all of this is a celebration of Christ. Right. The reason no when the church is. added the Christ Mass, right. you know, the reason for that was to celebrate specifically Christ. It wasn't necessarily to celebrate his birth, but to celebrate Christ, to focus on the person and work of Christ. Mm. We've gone so far away from that with so many things. We can still incorporate all of these wonderful, fun, cultural traditions, enjoy the the eggnog and and Christmas waltz and all the different things that that we do, which is a terrific song. Great song. Um, As we're doing all of these things, just capture it. Hmm. Make it, we talked about this prior to the podcast, make every part of it a teachable moment. Hmm. This is the job as parents, it's the job as Christ followers. We are to teach. Every Christian needs to recognize that you must be a teacher. Now, that doesn't mean you uh, that everybody should just jump into the position of teacher or whatever else. Because every time we presume to teach, we're held to a higher standard. Right. Embrace Make sure you know what you're teaching. Right. Embrace that. Right. Because the world needs us to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christmas is a great opportunity to do that. But we can't do it if we just celebrate the same way the world does. If we forget that God was actively making all these things come together to carry out his purpose. So how can I possibly think that my circumstances are too big for God? Whatever I'm going through. Really? Look what happened here. (laughs) You've got the entire government working to kill the child. And God preserves his own. And Philippians 1.6, I, I, I can never be too far away from this ver- verse that, that he who started this good work in us is going to be faithful to complete it in, in the day of Christ Jesus. He is going to do this in his timing, not in ours, not according to our expectations, but he will finish his work. He's going to do what he set out to do. And when we get on board with that, amazing things can happen in our lives. Something amazing. Uh, we will stop there. Uh, like I said, this is our last podcast before Christmas, so I hope everybody has a very Merry Christmas. Uh, we'll decide whether or not we're back next week. Because <laughs> if <laughs> we're here, point. you'll know it. If we're if here, we'll not, be here. If yeah. we're not, oh. uh, as my son would say, if we do that, we'll do it. Um, it is. <laughs> it, what is it is what it is. Uh, well, thank you guys for listening, and I'll say it now in case we don't get back. Thanks for a, a great year. It's been uh, it's been a wild ride. That's a good way to put it. So. But many, many laughs, maybe some tears, <laughs> maybe some rants, you know. Yeah. Good anyway, times. Good, good times. times. Good times all around. Merry Christmas to all. 
to all a good night. If you can, we'll still be around. We're not going anywhere. Uh, so if you want to contact us in any way, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to leave those on Facebook or YouTube. You can send us an email at somethingrealatreallifeonline.org or leave a voicemail using the Anchor app or at 269-756-RLCCE. I think that's it. I stopped the carrier pigeon thing a while ago. Nobody, nobody came through with that. So. Yeah, I got rid of the pigeon food when we didn't get anybody coming. <sighs> I don't even know a response to that. Merry Christmas, everyone. We will see you later, perhaps in 2022. Here, there, or in the air, as my Baptist friends used to say. Fairly well.